Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. For a few minutes this evening, I want to preach to us and speak to us about the prize. The prize. God bless you. you. May be seated. Thank you for standing in worship. I have on more than one occasion talked about some of the various, some of the uh, hymns that are forever etched into my memory and spirit. Uh, growing up, singing those hymns and them being very much a part of what we did. And uh, much to my wife's chagrin, uh, these hymns not only come to mind in my prayer or when I'm meditating upon the Lord, but also at the most random times. And so when she least expects it, I can occasionally burst out into a very heartfelt, but probably still very painful to the ears rendition of whatever hymn happens to have crossed my mind at the moment. But of all of the hymns that are etched in my memory, it is the ones about heaven that hold a special place. Maybe because there's not a whole lot of new songs written about heaven, which may be a commentary in itself. But there's something about some of those hymns like, Some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air. Coming after you and me, joys is ours to share. What rejoicing there will be when the saints shall rise, headed for that jubilee yonder in the skies. Oh, what singing, oh, what shouting. On that happy morning when we all shall rise. Oh, what glory, hallelujah. When we meet our blessed Savior in the skies. I still believe that. And to anybody chagrin or not, I still sing that. Because standing firmly on the eternally established word of God, I still possess an eager expectation of the soon return of Jesus Christ and our meeting him in the air. Not only that, but I have lived long enough to realize and ever more appreciate that my heavenly hope really is an anchor of the soul. You see, you and I, it's, this is no secret nor revelation tonight, but we live in a dangerous and disturbing world that is filled with confusion and chaos. And this journey of life can be filled with injustice relational strife, sickness and pain. The, the, we, it can be fraught with financial stress and lo loss. There is discouragement. There is emotional heartache. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, you and I are not immune to the human experience of living in a fallen world. So if we are not diligent, Satan, that real enemy of our soul... He is a master at luring you and I 
in, into becoming fixated upon the presence, present because he understands that if we are blinded by either the pleasure or the pain of the moment, then we become easier prey for him to spiritually discourage, for him to deceive, and for him to destroy. You see, Satan is desperate to distract us from the imminent return of Jesus Christ because he wants to divert our attention from the prize that we will spend forever with the Lord Jesus Christ in a place called heaven. Fully aware of that ongoing battle that you and I are involved in, whether we admit it or not, I rise tonight to focus our attention squarely on our heavenly hope and our heavenly reward. Maybe you don't talk about it. You probably don't hear many songs about it. And maybe you don't have those hymns etched in your mind. But I would draw your attention back to the Bible. That our eyes would be fixated upon the prize. That come what may, in good times and in bad times, when I have answers and when I have questions, whether I feel good or I feel bad, whether I think God is, is, is on my side or I think God has abandoned me, whether it seems like, you know, my, my it'd be so much better if I could enjoy that for a moment, if I could kind of just lay aside that principle and that ethic, it would bring Gaiden to me in this area through all of the human experience that every single one of us are walking down the same journey you and I still can rise above and lift up our eyes and say you know what there is a prize there is a prize I don't have to be ashamed about it I don't have to be intimidated by it I live for a prize I have a prize in mind I press towards a prize and the prize is that some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air coming after you and me and joy is ours to share. It's real. Heaven is not just a figment of our wild Christian imaginations. Heaven is not merely the hope of the oppressed. Heaven is not a fairy tale passed down by ancestors. And it is certainly not a place here on earth. Heaven is as real as God is real. And if we believe in God, then we can believe in the certainty of our blessed resurrection to meet Him in the air because our hope is infallibly established Established in his word. Jesus himself said, standing before Martha distraught with loss, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Mere hours before his agony, he would tell disciples a little confused by exactly what was going on. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
And if it, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. The prize. Later Paul refuted an erroneous doctrine denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was being perpetrated upon the Corinthian church. And he refuted it by indisputably affirming both the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the resulting hope of our eternal resurrection and fellowship with him forever and ever. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and 17, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if Christ is not risen. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. We are the most miserable. If this experience of discipleship is merely to have community and connection on planet earth, go ahead and take me out now because this is above all most miserable. But he keeps writing and in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Remember Paul. Paul writing to Timothy said and, and declared that it was the revealed mystery of who Jesus Christ is, that he is God manifested in the flesh. Here Paul declares that the revealed mystery of our resurrection when he says that if we believe in Jesus Christ and believe that he was resurrected from the dead, then it is already been revealed by that that we will be resurrected to meet him in the air. And if Paul would say, hey, the revealed mystery is that Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. And the revealed mystery of our resurrection is, is given by Paul. Therefore, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we should also believe in our heavenly hope. And if you have lost sight of your heavenly hope, I would argue that you have lost sight of Jesus Christ. Paul further articulates this heavenly hope to the Thessalonians also battling this erroneous idea that it's just all about the here and now and there is no hope of tomorrow. Paul said, I would not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Why? Because no matter whether you're climbing up the rough side of the mountain or walking through the shadow of death or you're shouting on a victory that God's just given you, here is the greater truth that there is a prize and that some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air. That is the prize. That is the hope. That is the anchor of the soul. Convert one another with these words. Paul wrote to real people who loved Jesus Christ and eagerly expected his soon return. But they were just as susceptible as we are to the diabolical deception that seeks to entangle us in the present so that we lose sight of the eternal. Because when we become distracted from our heavenly hope and reward, we often try to make the present eternal. And therefore, we become consumed by either pleasure or pain and the momentary enjoyment or agony of it. This is why the imminent return of Jesus Christ and our resurrection to meet him in the air in a place and spend forever with him in a place called heaven is so pervasive throughout the New Testament because God understood that we would be bombarded by human experience and he understood that there was a cunning line seeking to destroy and distract us from what would keep us. What is the anchor of the soul when you think everything is out of control and you're about to lose your mind? There is an anchor that is moored in the bedrock of truth that says there is coming a day and it will be worth it and I hope is eternal. This is also what is at the forefront of Paul's mind when he writes to the Philippians in the text we read earlier. Paul, just, just a verse or two earlier in Philippians 3, has just written about his relentless pursuit where no cost or no loss is too great to fully know Jesus Christ. He's written about the power of Christ's resurrection and the resulting hope of our resurrection. And he sandwiches that around the loss and the suffering that we may know as we follow after Christ. Now Paul engages his audience. He's sharing his story. He's telling them his pursuit. But now in Philippians 3, in our text, he pulls them into the story. My brothers and sisters, I'm inviting you to engage in this with me. And he utilized the familiarity of an athletic race to challenge every disciple of Jesus Christ to join Paul and run along beside him for not just a prize, not just a reward, not just some accomplishment, but for the prize of all of eternity. Brethren, brothers and sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but the one thing I do 
forgetting those things that are behind and reaching towards those things which are ahead, I press towards to go for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, as runners racing in the only race that matters, we must be disciplined about distractions. When I run the Peachtree Road Race on the July the 4th, and there's 60,000 or so runners and 100,000 or more, whatever the number is now, spectators and a lot of noise. When I run that, typically with Brother Donald Douglas, you know what? We are distracted as all whatever. You know, we know we're not going to win. By the time we start, you know, the elites have already crossed the finish line. So we're just out for the T-shirt at that point. And so we're running and talking and looking. And, you know, the very first year I ran, they're throwing T-shirts out across. And I'm grabbing a T-shirt. And there's another vendor. And they're throwing a towel. And, of course, about mile three, they weigh about 10,000 pounds. And I'm quickly discarding all the prizes. But this is the, a race that's far superior than a T-shirt. And this is a race that means more than a medallion and a sticker you can put on the back of your vehicle. This is the race. This is the race of life. This is the race that has eternal consequences. And if we're going to run this race, then we have to be very disciplined about distractions. Paul is using this analogy of a race because anything that diverts my eyes and my attention from exclusive focus on the goal of winning the prize, that is a distraction. And in this game, if my eyes are not fixed on the prize, then I can stumble. I can lose lose footing. I can be more worried about what's going on around me and all of a sudden run right into a wall or right into a pit. And so Paul says, hey, we have got to be disciplined. I am challenging you. I'm calling you to join me in the race for the prize. And you must be disciplined about distractions. You see, whether it's a sin or not, whether it's some great evil or not, if it takes my eyes off the prize, it is a needless distraction. Paul especially notes the distractions of the past. You can't, you're not going to win this race. You're not going to ever make the goal if you're trying to run looking backwards. If you're worried about the run, your fellow runners and, you, and where are they at and how hard are they running and I wonder if they're out of win or if they're worried about, you know, am I ahead of them? Paul says, no, I'm, I've got to leave those things behind. You know what else I've got to leave behind? I've got to leave behind all the trophies of all the great exploits I did yesterday. I've got to leave all that behind. You know what else I've got to leave behind? I've got to leave behind all the skeletons and all the failures and all the shame and all the mistakes. I've got to leave all that behind because here is the deal. Whatever, it, whatever would distract me from the prize, 
I've got to push beyond and leave it behind because it is exactly that. It is in the past. It is over. It's gone. So quit worrying about it or quit celebrating it or quit telling yourself how good you were in the past. What matters is right now, at this moment, in this season, are my eyes fixed on the prize? Am I reaching for the goal? And so, therefore, I put it all behind. I put behind the loss. I put behind the sacrifice. I put behind the struggles. I put behind the doubts. I put behind she hurt me. I put behind he wounded me. I put behind the exploits. I put behind all the things that entangle us up. And I say, I've got something that's worth living for. I've got something that's worth running for. And I I can't control that. It's the past. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's in the past. I've got to leave it behind. I'm reaching forward. Our spiritual eyes must be focused like a laser on the goal of finishing the race. Starting the race is not the goal. Running the race is not the goal. What is the goal is finishing the race. I want to finish the race. I want to finish the race. It's not enough to start. It's not enough to run and collapse at the end. I must finish this race. And if I'm going to finish the race, if I'm going to make the goal of the finish line, if I'm going to hear the word, well done. I've got to always keep in mind and my eye focus on the prize. There is a prize. There is a reward. And it is the resurrection to be with Jesus forever. The goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what's on the other side of the finish line. So I'm reaching forward. I'm putting behind. And I don't care what you do in your lane. And I don't care what you do in your lane. I'm in my lane. And I understand all the one another's. We're not exempt for that. But one another's don't, don't distract me. One another's are helping us run this race. In some ways we do run it together. But when it comes down. And where the rubber meets the road is I can't take you to heaven and I can't take you to heaven and you can't stop me from going to heaven. I'm in my lane and I have a prize and I'm running for that prize. And there's a goal and the goal is to finish the race. And when I finish the race, there is a prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. The prize is the culmination of God mercifully calling us to be reconciled unto Him through Jesus Christ. It is the goodness of God that calls us into repentance, a call of God, this call, this upward call that is fully initiated in our lives when we enter into covenant with Jesus Christ by new birth salvation, the initiation into covenant with repentance of our sins and taking on His name in baptism and receiving the Spirit of the Lord in our lives with the evidence of speaking in a language we've never learned. It is the call of God. It is the upward call of God. It's His goodness 
that calls us out of sin and calls us to repentance. And it is a call that is always causing us to look upward. That is the call that Paul writes about when he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? So there he stands, writing the capstone of Holy Scripture. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, John paints for you and I a prize. He paints this awe-inspiring, mind-boggling, and breathtaking portrait of the prize. A portrait that enfolds at the end of Revelation in brilliant colors and cascades of sound. John writes... In the capstone of scripture and the closing of this capstone, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth, first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away. Yeah. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying, and neither shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. There's much that you and I do not know about New Jerusalem. But what we do know is enough. It is a place where God dwells with his people. It is a place that is marked by the absence of all the things of human experience that would seek to distract us and entangle us. Hey, can I just remind you of something? Everything that would take you or your eyes off of the prize is not going to be in heaven. What's going to be in heaven is a throne and a God who sits on the throne and people who kept their eyes on the prize and now they have attained it as they worship him forever and ever. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And so can I just pause? Because we are a oneness Pentecostal church. Because Revelation 22 and 3 is maybe the apex of all scriptures that define who Jesus Christ is. He is 
is God manifested in the flesh. Because when it's all said and done, there is one throne of God in the land, and his servants shall serve him. There's no plurality in the capstone of Scripture. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Not three names, not three titles, but his name. He who sits on the throne, his name. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Heaven is the prize where the barriers of sin and the barriers of mortality have been vanquished and eradicated so that instead of hiding from God, we now are with God face to face in a place called heaven. This is the prize. So heaven is not a fairy tale nor a mystical hope. It is not the universal destination of all people. It is not a manipulative bribe to get you to follow Jesus. It is the prize for those who run with endurance the race that is set before them. Not looking back, not distracted, but fixated on the goal for the prize. Worship team, please come. Jesus said in the closing words of Revelation, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. You could just stop pretending all the pious reasons you serve God and just acknowledge with Scripture and the rest of us that there is a reward. And the reward's not gold because that's nothing but asphalt. The reward is I get to see them face to face. And everything God intended before, before sin in His glorious creation is going to be restored. And everything God intended for me to be, there'll be no barrier. I'll be that. That's the prize. That's the reward. And he said, I am coming quickly. And my reward, it's with me. When we meet him in the air, his reward is with him. Some glad morning we shall see and meet him in the air. And he's going to have a prize. And the prize is to be with him. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So pardon me if I burst out at unexpected times that, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. 
because everybody will be happy. We'll be happy over there. We will shout and sing his praise. Everybody will be happy over there. If you're able, please stand. The prize, the prize. I press for the prize. I press for the prize. I press for the prize. It's easy to get distracted. There's an enemy of your soul. He wants you lost in the present. He wants you worried about your job. He wants you stressing over your business. He wants you frustrated with your spouse. He wants you wondering about what your career is going to be. He wants you mad about your bank account. He wants you engrossed with pleasure for a moment. Anything. He doesn't care if it's pleasure. He doesn't care if it's pain. For whatever it takes, just don't look at the prize. Because when I look at the prize, it all passes away. When I look into the face, of Jesus Christ. Every trial is going to be worth it. Every sacrifice is going to be worth it. Every time I obeyed the word of God is going to be worth it. Every time I said no to sin it's going to be worth it. Every loss I experienced it's going to be worth it. Every time I didn't get to have pleasure in a moment I'm going to have pleasure forevermore. It's going to be worth it. It's the prize. It's the prize. It's the prize. It's the prize. And so this evening, I'm just here to say, look up, lift up, lift up your eyes and behold the prize. Amen. If you believe that, would you join us up front? And we're just going to celebrate the prize. You may need to repent. You may need to make a commitment to lay aside some weights that aren't sin. And you've been telling yourself they're not sin, but you know that they're a distraction. You've got your Bible out like a legalist and you're convinced you're ready to tell God why it's okay what you've been engaged in. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm sure not here to paint it as sin. But I'm here to ask you, if it is a distraction, would you lay it aside? If it is a weight, would you lay it aside? Because there's a prize and it's going to be worth it all. Amen? Let's praise God and let's worship as they sing. Lift up your eyes and let's celebrate the prize, the hope of our high calling.